Judy, you've got to help me. That mob has gone crazy out there. They're trying to kill me. Well, why would they want to do a nasty thing like that? I don't know. I'm not such a bad guy. You're a sexist, egotistical, lying, hypocritical bigot. So I have a few faults. Who doesn't? sitting down for a working day a literal nine to five because this is a double feature of mike nichols uh working girl and colin higgins nine to five so of course i have the amazing host of fatal femmes it's laura cannon hey how's it going oh good thank you so much for having me on to talk about these i'm super excited about it um Yay, ladies in the workplace. Yes, yay, ladies in the workplace. And um, I know I keep changing my mind about the other double, um, but I didn't realize how much Working Girl and um, 9 to 5 would actually work as well, but yet as differently. It's going to be such a fascinating double to dig into. Yeah, I feel like, you know, obviously they're both about women in the workplace, mm. but and they both are comedies mm. i believe that's what they're both classified as but the comedy is so different and the they're vo both very serious as well in what they're talking about so they do complement each other it's kind of like the same but not the same oh absolutely it's yeah as we'll get into one of them is yeah treat comedy completely different both are funny in very very different ways um, and they do complement each other really well. Also looking at kind of, even though we're doing it in the reverse, it's very much how workplaces kind of strive for in the late seventies compared to the early eighties. It was, yeah, it was a fascinating double to watch. And I'm so glad that you're on the show. It took a little while, but, um, with me doing things and you doing things. Um, but then I'm so glad to have you on Schlock and Awe and welcome. Thank you. Um, before we get into it, um, now you are the host, as I mentioned, of the great show Fatal Femmes. Um, do you want to tell um, us about that show? Uh, yes. So Fatal Femmes, in the name, we talk about uh, things fatal and things um, women. <laughs> so we focus a lot on genre films, horror, mysteries, and thrillers. We like to have them either written, directed, uh, produced by women, because sometimes like in the older films, it's hard to find ones that were directed by women. So sometimes even producing works, as long as there's women that have had a big hand in making the movie. And we've covered things that don't have a big creative team of women but if like all the main characters are women it's a very female-centered story and it fits into the genre then we'll cover it like um like one thing we're going to be doing for halloween is we're going to be 
covering the movie House from 1977. Oh, nice. And yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know that there were any women really in the forefront of the creative team there, but all the characters pretty much are female characters. So that's, um, yeah, that's like one of those exceptions that we would do. Uh, but we've covered everything from like classic horror movies like The Haunting to um, action movies like Set It Off and uh, just a lot of different things. No, you had. You've covered it. It's a wide variety of movies. Like one of my favorite ones uh, for, is Bound. Um, oh, yeah. Just by the Wachowski sisters then when they were making it with the Wachowski brothers. So it was interesting to get, again, f very female-centric because it is about a – I always love how Bound is the movie that is kind of – what if the Femme Fatale won um, kind of yes. movie? But then you've got this interesting transition of looking at two people who would later transition into being women. And – it is a, when you put it in that light, it is such a fascinating look on um, how a female female directors, female characters, and just being this very female centric uh, movie, but from a completely different feminine point of view. And yeah, you do have it's such a wide ranging because um, women have always usually maybe tra traditionally been editors more than directors, but you have some of the mm -hmm. great editors. Um, yeah, no, your show. Sorry, I just because I had editors on the brain, but. Um, no, it's such a great show with a, such a wide-ranging um, thing of movies that it you can kind of poke all corners and go, no, women have impacted movies in this way, in this way, in this way, not just in the traditional ways that you would think, which I absolutely love about your show. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, one interesting thing that we did, um, we had, to, we've, this year's, we haven't done a ton of episodes because had a lot of health problems with my family. My grandma, my mom, and my dad all got COVID at the oh. same time. So that was fun. Yeah. Um, but we were able to talk about the movie American Psycho, which on the surface is not a women's story at all, but the director and the screenwriter were both women. And it's one of those that it could have been just like, terribly misogynistic movie just awful but because these women were able to have their impact on it it's really funny and the satire is great and I, th I think it's a brilliant movie it really is every single time I watch American Psycho all I can I can't help thinking oh god how misogynistic would this movie be if it was directed and written by um, men because they wouldn't necessarily get the joke and even I think the book doesn't necessarily quite get the joke um, if anyone knows the original novel but what uh, Mary Harlan um was able to do was just kind of go no this is a misogynistic person this what he's doing is absolutely awful i can take that and kind of turn it into more of a satire from a female's point of view about this crazed man with a chainsaw and yeah that's all i can do every time i watch american Psycho. was like thank god mary was at the realm helm yeah <laughs> Um, and another one that I want to cover in the near future is uh, The Hitchhiker, directed by Ida Lupino. Yes. Because that's another one, like, mm -hmm. three men in a car is pretty much the whole movie, but because of how she was able to direct it, I think so much more comes out than just, just oh, this psycho guy kidnapped us and is making us drive him around. Yes, that is much more of a character piece, especially with the about this weird friendship all three of them kind of have, especially between the mm -hmm. two men who were already in the car. But when they introduce this third guy, it turns into this weird friendship movie. The way they have to treat each other, the way they have to manipulate each other, it's it's a fascinating, brilliant movie. Uh, so yeah, sorry I derailed us there. <laughs> 
no no all good i love to be derailed um before we get into our double um what are some of your favorite movies that you tend to go back to just to get an idea of what the kind of movie taste you particularly like i know podcast taste and your actual movie taste can be uh, for a person can be very often very different oh i'm a little bit all over the place um which my sister makes fun of me for because <laughs> I, I do a weekly movie night with um, her and my brother-in-law and we each get to pick something. And, you know, one week I'll bring a horror movie and then the next month I'll have like some weird uh, something from like Japan or India or something. And so they never know what I'm going to bring, but. Um, As it should be. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I really do love comedies, mm. both um, the older comedies and newer things. And then, of course, because I was kind of coming of age in like the 2000s, I really have a soft spot for some of those that may not be very good. But, um, you know, I'll tend to go back to Legally Blonde probably more often than I should. Um yeah, but that movie's kind of awesome and smarter than I think people give it credit for, even mainly yeah. because of Reese Witherspoon's main character. But I know I love that movie. <laughs> um, and things like uh, I love the big broad comedies too, like you know the Spy Who Dumped Me, something mm. that's just totally crazy out there. But I do actually really like horror movies and thriller movies. Um, I watch a lot of those. And let's see, you asked for more like specific ones. Let's see. It's hard um, to put you on the spot like that, so I completely understand. <laughs> no, it's okay. It's I have a real hard time making decisions about stuff, so like my favorite movies change all oh, the time. I know. Um, I I've heard of this thing um, on another podcast called the Handshake Five, which is like five movies that kind of represent you that may or may not be your favorite ones, mm. and um, so I'd probably go with like. The Emperor's New Groove. I love animated movies, yeah. and that one is just gets my style of comedy a lot. It's perfect, um, yes. <laughs> you know, I'd have to throw, like, a blockbuster type of thing in there, so I could see, like, maybe Raiders of the Lost Ark, because um, uh, uh, Harrison Ford was, like, one of my earliest crushes. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> so probably that one. Uh I love Christmas and I love the Muppets. So we'll go with the Muppet Christmas Carol. Watch that one yep. every year. Yeah. Uh, and like I said, um, probably something like Legally Blonde. Mm. And then let's see. I think I would probably throw in there. I didn't do. Uh, oh, yeah. Sunset Boulevard or Lord of the Rings. Um would have to kind of round that out all those movies are fantastic i love the fact that you mentioned sunset boulevard because again one of my favorites again muppet christmas carol something i watch every year empress new groove is one of my favorite disney animated movies i think that movie is hilarious um no but i get what you mean about picking your favorites it's kind of a mean question to ask anyone um especially someone who watches a lot of movies um because my favorite changes on a daily basis i'm like these are my favorites today to tomorrow it could be completely different because i'll suddenly remember that I watch Wayne's World 2 a lot, or I want to sound smart. So I'll say, yes, The Apartment is one of my favorite movies, which it is, and same with Sunset Boulevard. Um, but the thing I love, and the fact that what your movies that you just sort of said are all movies that you love and are all movies, there's not kind of just one thing you love, you love everything. And the fact that you 
make your brother and sister watch like an Indian movie or a strange Japanese movie or a horror movie, I kind of love because it's just like, no, no, it, we'll just watch everything. Can just everything. <laughs> yeah, for my um, birthday month, everybody had to pick a weird movie. <laughs> and so, yeah, we, we ended up watching some interesting stuff. <laughs> yeah. Do you find that other people have a very different different uh, definition of what weird counts as so you'll watch something and you're like oh that's this is this is this person's weird interesting yes very much so mm. um and especially like because i watch so many things and they're starting to a little bit more but like my level of weird is way weirder than their level of weird. <laughs> oh, yes. Um, I work in a bookstore and I occasionally get someone someone coming in and going, I want something weird. And my first thing is like, okay, so what's your threshold for weird? Because my threshold might be much different to yours. Or my thingy is, yeah. So I, I, I get that a lot. <laughs> yeah. Um, I used to work in a bookstore too. So I 100% get that. Uh, yeah, people would be like, oh, I want something, but not too scary. It's like, okay, we got to figure out what you mean by scary. <laughs> yes. What, what is, yeah, I don't want anything too dark. Okay, what is your definition of dark? I need to gauge because I might give you something that's way, way, or too light or too what. So yeah, it's all about sort of gauging what other people want. And I love the idea of you getting your friends and family to bring you what they think is weird because I just find that absolutely fascinating. <laughs> Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Um, uh, with that, we might as well get into our double, and because it's schlock and awe, we always show trailers. So, Laura, what would, and we're going to do Working Girl first, all right? So, what, Laura, what would your first trailer be for Working Girl? Okay, so my first trailer for Working Girl uh, might seem an odd choice, but it does, it does relate. Uh, so, it's Bad Hair from 2020. Welcome to the block, where we gotta- Excuse me, excuse me, thank you. Thank you so much, I'm so sorry I'm late. You ever had a dream? One you'd be willing to do anything for? Wow. Anna, how's work? Are you still interning for that lady? Executive assistant. Anna, music people have certain expectations and my girls need to flow freely. Who does your hair? No one. Uh, written by Justin Simeon, starring L. Lorraine, Jay Farrow, Lena Waithe, Kelly Rowland, and Vanessa Williams. This is um, perfect. I still need to see this, but I know this. Yes. <laughs> um, I really loved it. And uh, just a short synopsis is uh, it's set in 1989, and it's about an ambitious young woman who gets a weave in order to succeed in an image-obsessed world of music television. Mm. Uh, but then she finds out that the hair that they literally sewed into her head, which seems so painful, yeah. um, may or may not be evil. <laughs> Yeah, I've heard some really great things about this and I'm dying to see it. So I need to get organized and actually track a, cop a copy down because I very much would love to see Bad here. I know it's streaming on Hulu here in the US, but I don't know how easy it is to get anywhere else. Um, yeah. Um, which I is really sad. Yeah, because I think it it sounds like one of those movies that kind of needs that wide audience. So um, no, I... I'm definitely going to be making a point to track down a copy because um, I would very much like to see this movie. Kill it. When you give me killer something, I'm usually on board. <laughs> yeah, it's so much fun. I'd never heard of killer hair before. Mm. And it's such a brilliant concept. And also the commentary that that has about um, 
not only because she's working in like music television when it's mm -hmm. becoming like, you know, the MTV era and the station that she works for is being taken over by this new company and everybody is starting to like conform to the different hairstyles and how this, the company is saying that you need to look in order to be um, a VJ there. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, such a great commentary on women and how they're viewed in the workplace and also about black women and how they're forced to conform and not able to let their natural hair be and stuff like that. It's, it's, really good and it's actually you know it has some scary moments in it too but it has some really brilliant moments oh no i'm really looking forward to tracking this down and i have seen the trailer and it's a great great trailer and i think you're right especially considering the movie we're about to talk about the sort of that mtv rising up sort of late 80 80s early 90s when it was all about the image you presented um i think would be a, just a great great choice for um a trailer it's gonna be great i cannot wait to see it um, and it also has the like boss lady that is kind of telling their the up and coming woman like, oh, this is what you have to do to be successful. And it 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 mirrors a little bit the relationship between Sigourney Weaver's character and uh, Melanie Griffith's character. Oh, yeah, because Vanessa Williams plays the more boss character, doesn't she? Yes. Yes. No, yeah, I, yeah, absolutely top of the list now. Um, my first trailer is, um, I went in, well, not a slightly different direction, but because I sort of this time watching Working Girl, I kind of realized how much of a fairy tale structure it kind of has, or what I was reading into what a fairy tale structure oh. has. And since every generation has their own um, Cinderella uh, movie, I decided to go with my Cinderella movie, which is, of course, Ever After, a Cinderella story from 1998, directed by Andy Tennant. What is that phrase you use? Once upon a time. Feels just like Christmas. I get a mother and sisters all on one day. Say hello to your new stepsister. Mademoiselle. You poor little country girl. Beach, get out! It's very much about the sort of poorer girl who goes to the ball and gets to wear the, the dress and marries the prince. But what Working Girl kind of does is a little bit different. And I think Melanie Griffith kind of owns everything she does, which I'll get into how much I, I kind of love it. Um, but yeah, so I'm going to be showing you Drew Barrymore as Cinderella as a trailer. So there you go. <laughs> it's fantastic. I mean, I love that movie. But I think it's funny that you mentioned that because at one point something happened in the movie that made me think of Pretty Woman, mm. which made me think of Cinderella. So yeah, it it you're right there. But mm. it's a beautiful movie, and Drew Barrymore's fantastic in it. I need to revisit that one. It's been a while. I, yeah, it's been in the back of my head because I did recently revisit it last year. It's like a kind of a COVID. I was going back to a lot of movies I'd watched as a teenager, kind of thing. And I was kind of really happy how well this held up as just a kind of very late 90s. I mean, um, Angelica Houston is in it playing the wicked um, stepmother. And it's just, yeah, it's just, it's very of its time, but it holds up in the way you want it to hold up. Yeah, it, it, everything I'm remembering about it 
would fit that. But again, it's been so many years. Uh, that would have been one that could go into my list of like favorite things, even though I haven't seen it in a while because I watched it so many times when I was younger. Oh my God. It's one of those ones that totally got airplay. Just, you just watched it over and over again. It was just, yeah, one of those movies. Yeah. <laughs> and everyone, and everyone kind of has that movie like um, Ella Enchanted or um, this movie or another kind of Sleeping Beauty-esque fairy tale kind of one that kind of gets replayed in your youth, sir. Yeah. And they just said that there's going to be a new version of Cinderella coming out. So, uh, yeah, every generation does have their Cinderella. Yes, every, every generation does indeed have their Cinderella. Um, and what would your second trailer be for Working Girl? Okay, so my second one... I had two that I was deciding between. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to go with Baby Boom. I need the P&Ls on Atlantic Overseas. I also need the latest ZBBs and PBBs. And Robin, I want you to get me the CEO of IBC ASAP. Not really great with living things. I think you are. Gonna make love? Are you telling me that I inherited a baby from a cousin I hadn't seen since 1954? Your baby just barfed all Look, over my boss. This is not my baby. I, I'm, I went to Yale and Harvard. I don't have children. Directed by Charles Scharr, S-H-Y-E-R. I never say names right. Um, written by him and Nancy Myers and starring Diane Keaton. Oh. I just watched this one for the first time and it was so much fun. It's kind of a reverse working girl mm. because um diane keaton's character jc is she's like the number one she's at the top she's getting ready to be made partner and then she gets a message saying that she got an inheritance from a distant cousin who just died and it turns out to be their baby oh so she never wanted kids didn't want that at all ends up falling in love with the little girl, gives up everything, moves out to the country to be a mom. Mm. And then, you know, I, for people who haven't seen it, I won't spoil it, but, um, you know, things work out from there. But it was really sweet and funny. And I liked it because, yeah, it kind of, it starts where this one ends and then works back up. Oh, my God, I had not heard of this movie, and I'm just looking at the cast going, I need to see this now, and I can stream this, which is even better. Oh, my God. Uh, how Ramus, James Spader is in this movie. Um, Pat Hinkle? Oh, my God. I, yeah, there's, like, I'm just looking at the cast going, yes, I'm watching all of the, I'm watching this today. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be perfect. Yeah, it's a very sweet movie. So, yeah, if you need something that's not going to uh, be too emotional or uh, get you strung up or not too much action, this is a really good one. Oh, and it's from 1987, so it also ties into the 80s thing. It really, really does. Okay, so I was just trying to decide between a few trailers, but I'll go for the one that actually maybe I've seen recently-ish or know kind of more what I'm talking about. But uh, this is going to be... My, my final trailer for this is going to be uh, Broadcast News, of course, from 1985 by James L. Brooks. All remote standby, please. Okay, we're going to George. Say, the F-14 is one of the most difficult planes to master. Executive producer. I'll tell you something else. You know, I'm getting less and less airtime. They don't think I'm at all anchor material. 
I can't believe I just risked my life for a network to test my face with focus groups. Is there any particular area that you feel strongest in? To be honest, I was best at anchor. So, you have almost no experience, and you can't write. What I don't know, I can learn. What I do know, nobody can teach. The classic broadcast news. Um, I love this movie. It is not necessarily within the themes of um, Working Girl, as in you do have um, Holly Hunter who is trying to make it in a very man's world, but yet she's kind of meant to be falling in love. But you also have a Joan Cusack who is, again, stealing every single scene she's in. Just like um, Working Girl. I mean, that woman can steal a scene right from under anyone's nose. Um, And it's just this kind of great thing about this career woman who essentially she has to choose between her career or two men. So it's kind of this weird love triangle story, but it doesn't necessarily go in the places you think it's going to go. And it's just got some amazing performances in it. Um, But it's a great trailer. And again, it's got that um, 80s corporate kind of vibe to it. This is one I haven't seen, but it's been on my list for a while. So Mm -hmm. I will move it up and check it out soon. Yes. No, it is really, really great. Again, just really strong performances um, all over the past the board. And Holly Hunter is just freaking amazing in this. Much like everyone else is freaking amazing in Working Girl. uh, Directed by the great Mike Nichols, who I've decided is the sneakiest director to ever work. Because I keep going, what? He directed this (laughs) Um, movie from 1988. There isn't any room at the top for local girls like us. I'm not giving up. In the land of opportunity. They're not going to give you no shot test. They're going to shoot you. Where dreams are won and lost. Spray me down. Sorry. Well, I can't very well walk around my own party clinging. Someone's about to get what she deserves. I know I'm asking an awful lot, Tess, but I, I don't know what else to do. I need you to take over. Do me a favor, be me. Be my secretary. You do, sir? Thank you, Cynthia. Hold all calls, Miss McGill? Yes, Cynthia, thank you. Can I get you anything, Mr. Trainer? Coffee, tea, me? <laughs> Isn't she right? That'll be all, Cynthia. But how you look. I have a head for business. Um, now I suggested Working Girl. Um, do you have a history with this movie or not? Ish. Uh, it was one of those that I'd heard about. And of course, uh, Harrison Ford and Sigourney Weaver. I love them. Mm. Um, Sigourney Weaver is one of my favorites because she had amazing curly hair in Ghostbusters and I have curly hair. So I was like, yes, my curly haired queen. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> So that's probably what drew me to it. Uh, I, but I ha- the first time I saw it wasn't terribly long ago, like probably within five or six years. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really enjoyed it. And so then, yeah, when you suggested it, it was like, yes, I will definitely rewatch that one. No, it is. I remember watching it vaguely as a kid and then didn't think about it until I rewatched it again a few years ago and went, Oh, wow. Working Girl is really good. Um, I need to watch more Mike Nichols movies. Actually, I think the first time I watched it, I didn't realize Mike Nichols had directed it, which is like most things he directed. I'm like, this is really good. Oh, Mike Nichols directed it, of course. But it is just this kind of really great... All I can swear to describe with this movie is that it's just really solid. It's just really good at what it does. Um, but yeah, you're right. Um, it's Harrison Ford, who I love. It's Sigourney Weaver, my curly-haired queen. Again, I had curly hair as a kid and 
the fact that she just let her wavy curly hair um, loose on the world, same with uh, actually Melanie Griffith, um, was just kind of, yay! Um, and this movie is filled with big wavy curly hair. And <laughs> um, I mean, it's going, I mean, I'm think, I know the 80s had big hair, but this movie seems to go extra with the big hair. I mean, Joan Cusack alone, you could write an essay on her hair, but um, <laughs> <laughs> it's, no, it's just this really solid movie where you're watching it and going, yeah, this is good. Yeah, um, I think, as we'll get into it, I think there's a definite difference you can tell that Working Girl doesn't have the female writer that 9 to 5 has, um, and then how women sort of relate to each other, but I think it gets the kind of competitiveness that women kind of felt in the workplace, especially as I started moving up the corporate ladder that I think Working Girl really, really captures um, more than anything else. Uh, but no, I, I I do adore this movie. Yeah, I agree with everything that you've said. First, I'll address the Mike Nichols being a sneaky thing. He has directed so many movies and mm. just like all over the place. Yeah. His first movie was Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, which is a masterpiece. Yes. How do you start there? I, I, I don't know, but um, yeah, just scrolling through his list of credits it's like you did that okay and then you did that and he just covered like every genre all types of things and um while there are some movies of his that i'm not as much on like i don't care for the graduate but um there's so many others of his that i think are just absolutely brilliant and yeah um this being one of them as well i know he's just got this kind of catalog um oh my god he wrote postcards from he directed postcards from the edge and charlie wilson's war i mean it's just kind of when you look at it um and he is really all over the place and you're right his first movie was who's afraid of virginia wolf um and i've come a little bit around to the graduate um because i really didn't love it and then i rewatched it again i went oh, okay, he's doing a thing, and now I'm all about the Anne Bancroft more than anything else, so I can kind of gauge with it a little bit more. But yeah, he's just got all these kind of movies, and um, what I tend to love about Mike Nichols is that he's really good at just let characters being their characters. So, because um, I wouldn't want to get into the difference between, um, say, a 9 to 5 and this movie with the male gaze, because these are very female-centric movies, but with both male directors. Um, and I really sort of was sort of fascinated by looking at how the camera kind of lingered on Melanie Griffith, for instance, because she um, is a very beautiful woman and she wears all these amazing clothes and the camera does linger on her, but it never feels pervy, if that makes sense. Um, he was just letting her be her um, and letting her be more natural in her being than I think, say, or oh, this is a completely different role in a completely different movie, but something like Body Double, which is the most, one of the more male gazy movies to be <laughs> ever male gazy. Like, it, that's the point of the movie. But yeah, it wasn't as, I don't know, if it wasn't Mike Nichols directing this, I don't think it would have been as smart. I don't think the cast would be as good. And I think it would be more pervy on Melanie Griffith, if that makes sense. I agree with that. Um, because there are several shots of her, like in her bra and underwear, mm. but they don't, feel like oh let's zoom in on the boobs or anything like that it yeah I I had an acting teacher that would tell us that when you're acting you have to do what you're really doing for real mm. and that's what I felt like in the way she was filmed that okay she's getting dressed and that's how he filmed her like she was really getting dressed it wasn't in a creepy exploitive way it was just 
this is what she's doing. Um, I'll also reference the scene where she's vacuuming in her high heels and yes. topless. Yes. Which, I mean, I don't know that I've ever done, but I guess if you're trying to like clean up really quickly, like she is for whatever reason. But again, that didn't feel like oh, it's a topless scene. <laughs> it was just like, she's just doing this. And yeah. that's the way that it was shot as well. Just a person who they happen to be filming doing a thing. Yeah, because you don't actually, um, it's, yeah, because you're right. He doesn't zoom on and on when she's doing that because it took me a moment to go, wait, she's topless doing that, but you don't see anything. Because usually if it's a topless scene, you see everything because the camera wants you to know, oh, there are her boobs. But this is more of a, hey, she's, vacuuming getting everything cleaned up and she doesn't maybe want to get her clothes dirty because even from the beginning when she does have the bigger hair and the more jewelry you can tell that she's very self-conscious of her appearance and how she appears to others and i think um that is just a thing she does she cleans with less clothes on because she just doesn't want to get them dirty yeah and even in the sex scenes as well there's mm. nothing like explicit or um you know it usually cuts away and doesn't even show it yeah. so i i feel like that there's um a respect that he has for her as an actress um and even you know even in the sexy scene when um sigourney weaver is trying to seduce jack and she's got on her lacy uh negligee and stuff yes. it's still not shot in a way that feels um exploitive no, this movie does not feel exploitive at all. And I think there are so many kind of shots that, yes, you're right, we were talking about that could have been, that it could have been overly sexy because this is about um, women in the workplace and they kind of are in a situation where they need to dress beautifully because this is the kind of the nature of the business. And you do get the sense at the beginning that Melanie Griffith is just putting up with a whole bunch of um, shite. Um, in this movie where she is constantly being groped. She's constantly being pimped out by her bosses to go on dates with other colleagues that they want to get things. So she's been constantly being used and all she wants to do is be in the mental program so she can rise up the ranks and stop being a secretary. And it's, and you just kind of feel so sorry for it. And the fact that she has to be in the back of a car with freaking Kevin Spacey and what you know about him now, you're just like, oh, this is a bit too perfect casting. Um, yeah, it was like, is he just playing himself? Yes, is he just, this is what he does. Um, and the fact that she never puts up with that, I love. Um, and she is never, con I mean, there's a big difference between her and between her and Sigourney Weaver, how they play the game. Melanie Griffith's character, Tess, never puts up with bullshit. She never puts up with being... Um, touched inappropriately or anything she doesn't want to be in a situation she's there for business and then as you see Sigourney Weaver deal with these sort of same guys she's kind of pushing them away but keeping them close it's like yes I will do this if you a lot of back scratching she's kind of realized which is kind of why I do have some sympathy for Catherine Parker even though I don't think you're meant to in the movie um is that she's learned how to play the game um and she knows how to, she needs to give favors so if she wants to keep us if the guy's hitting on her she'll try and at least get something out of it like a deal or a promotion or something so i don't even though i think um catherine pulls a lot of crap in this movie i don't necessarily feel complete hatred for her because i know this is how she's probably been taught how to rise up in business or how to make friends and influence people i guess right and there was so much in 
yeah, the days when women were first starting to be able to go higher up in mm. business, where there was the mentality of like, there can only be one woman. That's all that they'll allow. So oh, I it's my notes. gonna be me. <laughs> yes, I absolutely have that in my notes because I'm sort of watching it going, oh, of course, this is 1988. There can only be one female executive and it's going to be Sigourney Weaver or it's going to be um, Marilyn Griffiths. There can't be both of them. <laughs> Right. And so, yeah, she's playing the game to keep her spot. And obviously she's 29 She because she says she's going to be turning 30. Yeah. So she's done this, you know, relatively quickly. And I'm sure that there's a lot of people that she's walked over to get to the place that she is. But nobody would have necessarily frowned on that. Um no. You know, the guys would do that all the time, but because this is Melanie Griffith's story, you know, she's the bad guy, but I feel the same way you do. Like, I don't like what she does, but I don't feel like she is completely the villain. Mm. It's the patriarchy that's the villain. Exactly. And the one thing I love is that when Melanie, cause I'm jumping all over the place and I apologize. And I guess I will be spoiling this, however old 1988 movie is. But at the end, it's got, this is why I think it's kind of a fairy tale, because you do have the young Cinderella, who's a secretary, um, who's trying to get to the ball and to the prince. The prince, of course, is Harrison Ford, because of course he is, it's Harrison Ford. And yeah. the ball is the meeting. Um, and I love how Sigourney Weaver is kind of the wicked stepmother and wicked stepsister, kind of wrapped into one. And she kind of plays her for a little while, but I do love at the end when she finally gets that moment, I'm going to get with the prince and I'm going to go and live in the castle, which is, of course, the New York skyscraper. She's wearing jeans and a baggy shirt and wearing very minimal makeup. It's not like she's dressed up. She's just dressed up in her normal clothes. Nothing's accentuating anything. And it's really her showing, no, I'm smart. I can do this. I thought about radios because I thought of these two news clip clippings and I put them together. It's showing how it's it's her brains that are being kind of put on display not the fact that she's a beautiful woman, which I was like, yay, Mike Nichols, good for you. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, more into the Cinderella thing, you know, the first time that she goes out, she is dressed up and has new hair and everything's completely different, you know, kind of like the fairy godmother transforming yes, her yes. because she's borrowed the clothes a of course, I find that line absolutely hilarious where she's talking to Joan Cusack's character, Cynthia, yes. and they, the dress is $6,000, and she <laughs> says, it's not even leather. I know. I love how she just, she sits down, like, she's like, this is perfect, this is elegant, this is the, because I love how the apartment is the fairy godmother, but she's showing mm -hmm. off this dress and, like, it's perfect, it's elegant, it's simple, I mean, because Joan Cusack is like, put some ribbons on it, like, make it bigger. And which I, I love. And um, and then she goes, it's $6,000. And she just has to sit down and go, oh, God, I'm about to put on a $6,000 dress, which still I $6,000 dress even in today is still a completely out of um, something I cannot do. This is not something most people can do is buy a $6,000 dress. And the fact that it's $6,000 dress in 1988 money is astounding. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know what that would translate to, but oh. I'm guessing probably like, you know, 15000 or something. But yeah, yeah. a $6,000 dress, I'm like, that's a round trip plane ticket to <laughs> somewhere in Europe. <laughs> mm. 
and, and the the trip. <laughs> two, I was going to say it's two round flip trips. It's the whole trip. It's a whole trip yeah. to Europe. I could spend that money on a whole trip to Europe, and that's why that six that, that I love how they kept the six thousand dollar dress still seems um, unattainable by normal standards because you're like what? Yeah, <laughs> I'd be hyperventilating hyperventilating as well. Um, speaking of the costumes for just a second, yep. this is something, I don't know what it means. Mm. I just noticed it. And I don't know if you have any thoughts, but, um, the color red is associated with Sigourney Weaver's character a lot. She, at the cocktail party that she throws, everybody else is like in business suits and muted colors and mm. she's in a red dress. And then at the end, she has on a red blazer and everybody else again is in like blacks or muted colors. Um, she has on a red ski suit. Her ski boots are red. Mm. And then also at the... Um, at Cynthia's engagement party, the song Lady in Red plays. Oh my God, it does too. Um, so I don't know if this means anything, but I just noticed it. Uh, it probably does mean something because I don't think costuming, because um, costuming is never, because you're much more of an expert on this than I am, but it's never by accident. And right. I, because um, when they're at the engagement party and Lady in Red is playing, it's when it's Tess says she's just found out that um, uh, Catherine is just stealing her idea to show to the to the whatever board deal members she's she's doing. Yeah. Um, and you're right. I think her wearing red is to show her is she's presenting her authority to people because you're right because everyone's wearing these kind of black muted dresses and even when um, uh, Tess is kind of pretending to be a more powerful um, figure than she actually is. Um, in the scheme of things, she doesn't wear the red. She tends to keep herself very muted as well. Um, mm -hmm. Like she's trying to blend in. But Catherine, no, she is going to wear red. She's going to stand out and she's going to show everyone how important I think she is. Um, but no, I did not realize the um, Lady in Red connection. And I think you're absolutely right. Because I think Tess is just at a low point of going, oh, is it, working for a woman is just the same as working for a man, except for feeling you up. They're just going to steal your ideas, which men do anyway. So there's, I think when she's realizing there's absolutely no difference. Um, it's not about working for a woman. It's just working for someone who's going to try and screw you over. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that is a brilliant observation. I love it. I was just like going, holy crap. I didn't even click to that before. <laughs> um. Yeah. Oh, and sorry, another costume thing. Yeah. Can we just talk really fast about the uh, bridesmaids' dresses oh at my God. Cynthia's wedding? <laughs> the oh, pink and blue, my... and then the guys in the blue tuxedos. I just love it so much. Oh, my God. It is. This movie is almost making fun of the 1980s. Um, this is mm -hmm. when this stuff was in fashion, so it's not like... Um, this is kind of out of place, but because you have this such a distinction between the working class Staten Island crew and then the Manhattan corporate crew, um, the clue, the costumes just and typify everything that has been talked about. And Melanie Griffith still manages to look good, but it's, I don't know how. <laughs> and I know Melanie Griffith is an amazingly beautiful woman, but yeah, that it's an, it's an amazing feat. <laughs> yeah. And Joan Cusack's eye makeup. Like, I didn't realize that people wore three colors kind of blended that particular way. So, yeah, I don't I don't know if people actually did that or if that was a movie magic thing. But I love it so much. And the bangles and, uh, you know, the 
the um, old saying, the higher the hair, the closer to God, definitely applies to these ladies. Oh my God. As when I was, every time I watch this movie, I keep forgetting that Joan Cusack's in it. And every single time I see her in this, I fall in love with her again. There's just this way that she is just her presence. I don't know, just the way they do, yeah, you're right. Her makeup, her hair, her clothes, her jewelry, it's all so big that she should get lost in all this mess but she doesn't and she's just this kind of full force personality i mean she is such a great friend as in she will pull tess up on her crap even if tess is in the right which i i, I kind of loved i mean this is the only way tess can move ahead and her cynthia is always like going uh, this is wrong you were gonna get in so much trouble because she will and even though her boyfriend alec baldwin i still can't believe how good this cast is alec baldwin I is her cheating boyfriend and she should leave him. It makes sense when Cynthia says you need to make a decision. You're either with him or you're not. You can't, there can't be no in between. And I love that about her. She can, she makes everything sound so sensible, even though I don't want a, a Melinda Griffith to follow any of this advice. Yes. Um, she, surprisingly enough, works a bit as the voice of reason um, in this kind of mad cap thing that she's living <laughs> yeah. um in the moment and yeah. i love when she's pretending to be her secretary and she's yes! asked mr <laughs> trainer coffee tea me <laughs> yes um <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah but she's one of those actors that every time i see her in something I just love it, even if it's a more subdued part. Um, like, I don't know if you've seen School of Rock, but oh, she yes. plays like the yeah. principal in that. And it's not a like big over the top part, but she's awesome. She, and she's amazing. Yeah. yeah. No, I love how in School of Rock, how she's meant to be kind of the I'm the authority, everything I need to get everything right. But then you see in the movie that she has these other facets to her character. And I think it's just because she's an amazing character actor that she's able to kind of bring that to the role that you just kind of fall in love with her. And even when she gets a bigger swing, like Adam's family, family values, she's the sexiest woman on the planet in that movie. And um, yeah, I think she's, so what she's able to do with these smaller roles, again, I brought up uh, broadcast news. She's, which she plays a very similar role to that as she does in Working Girl. But she's able to bring so much and so much depth. Like, you know this woman. You know the world she comes from. And you know that it's not the worst thing in the world. I mean, yes, Melanie Griffith wants to get out and she wants to get into the, her own office and be something else. But the world she's leaving isn't terrible because Joan Cusack is there and it can't be, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Like, most movies would present Staten Island as a place you want to get away from. But it's not a place... But when you look at this world, even with a cheating boyfriend, it's not necessarily a place to get away from because there is community. And it's kind of a hard decision Melanie Griffith has to make where she has to learn how to balance the two. Yeah, and that is true. I hadn't thought about that mm. because a lot of movies present the situation that you're leaving is like, oh, you know, you live in the basement that's infested by cockroaches and obviously you want to get out of this because everybody around you is just trying to sell you out yeah. but yeah she has good people in her life mm. it's not necessarily that oh you know i'm gonna die if i don't get out of this situation it's just yeah i'm trying to make a better life for myself and yeah yeah, yeah, sorry, carry on. I was just saying yes. Oh, no, no, that's okay. <laughs> no, it's like when you brought up the uh, Pretty Woman, it's like when Pretty Woman, she's a sex worker on working on the street. 
Uh, presumably she doesn't have a pimp, but, you know, her friend does. Um, and it's a situation she needs to get out of, and she does in the end because she falls in love with Richard Gere. But this movie, it's a choice made by Melanie Griffith. She's like, yeah, I live in Staten Island. I have a house in Staten Island. I don't, or I live in a big apartment because I don't have to pay that much. It's I have a community. I have friends. I have family. But for myself, I want something more. I want to go to Manhattan and become something more than what I think I... I think I'm, I want to work hard and I want to strive for more. And that's never presented as a bad thing. And leaving Staten Island isn't presented as a bad thing. I've got the feeling that she's kind of going to be happy in both worlds by the end of the movie. Yeah, she gets everything she wants, but I don't think she's going to be the kind of person that leaves Cynthia behind. Right. And something that I really like that I just realized through this conversation is they never make it seem like being a secretary is a bad thing because it's not. No. Um because, yeah, there are some things that it's like, oh, no, you never want to do this job. This job is terrible. Oh, no. Uh, but, no, the people who do that job are smart. They have ideas. You know, maybe that's just what they want to do. I mean, I know personally I've worked in an office setting and I've seen some of the higher up jobs. And it's mm -hmm. like, I don't want that stress. I don't want to do that. But there are people who love it and thrive in it. So, Exactly. I've never been an office type person. So this has always been, every time I watch a sort of an office place kind of thing, I always get kind of, oh, so is that what it's actually like? But yeah, I love how the movie never says being a secretary is a bad thing because that's what some people want to do and um, completely random off topic. The one thing, Promising Young Woman annoyed a lot of people for a lot of different reasons and I think those are brilliant, uh, kind of those are valid reasons to get up. I was more upset is because people kept saying, why are you just working in a cafe? And I'm like, there's nothing wrong with being 30 years old and working in a cafe, people. Can we stop making this <laughs> the issue? And I was, which is not even the issue of the movie. There's a whole bunch of other stuff you can talk about. I was zeroing in on the fact that everyone was going to telling her she was in a shit dead end job. And I'm like, that's not a shit dead end job. What are you talking about? <laughs> Yeah, I can relate to that 100% because I worked in a bookstore for about 10 years yeah. and, you know, I had benefits, I had paid time off, I had sick time, which was mm. better than like most retail situations. But, you know, I didn't want to be the manager or anything because I saw what that was like. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, people would be like, okay, well, what do you want to do? It's like, well, right now, this is what I want to do. Yes. And I love it's okay. The, yes, it's okay. And I like how Mike, uh, Mike Nichols makes both choices okay. It's just, it's frustrating when you see Melanie Griffith, who is doing everything correct, and going mm -hmm. to night school, going, um, wanting to keep asking, can I be part of the mental program? Can I be part of the mental program? And um, the, her just getting ignored because people have a perception of what a secretary is when it's not. And I thought this movie captured that so, so well. Because I've always worked in bookstores and retail. And I guess I take that stuff a little bit too personally. So to see someone rising through the ranks of a career, a career that isn't exactly like the normal, I don't know. I appreciate it. I actually appreciated that both about these movies. Yeah. And there's something in both of these movies that is still going on today which yes. infuriates me a lot but um you know they say oh you didn't get into the program again because yeah. you're one competing against guys and obviously they're gonna get in mm -hmm. um but then your degree isn't from harvard or another ivy league place yes. and it's like especially as we've seen i well i mean sorry i'm speaking from a u.s 
uh, standpoint. I don't know how it is um, in around the world, but so many of the colleges, it's like, eh, maybe you have a better degree. Maybe you don't. A lot of professors that teach like at the regular university also will teach at the community college. So you're basically getting the same type of thing. Um, it's like if you've worked hard, you've gotten your degree, you've put it in, it shouldn't really matter that it comes from one place or the other. Um, yes and no. I don't think it's as, as intense as it is in the States because I don't think we don't have the complete Ivy League kind of notion, but we kind of do a bit more low-key. Like if you go to, say, Sydney University or um, Melbourne University or some of those kind of these more kind of older universities, there's definitely a sense that your degree is better than, say, going to a um more of a what we call TAFE or which is community college or something okay. like that so yeah there's definitely that sense in there it's just not as intense I would say as um a lot of because yeah when you get down to it a school is a school you're learning all the same stuff it doesn't really sort of matter where you learn it kind of thing but there's a perception of yeah Harvard is better than everywhere else um which it isn't <laughs> yeah yeah um I, I kind of want to touch on the cast of this movie because I think because oh, yeah. it's Mike Nichols, everyone is amazing. And it, you get, um, I think Alec Baldwin hadn't quite blown up at this point, so he is kind of playing the other guy. Um, but you do have Oliver Platt showing up. You do have um, the wonderful Olympia Dukakis yes. playing someone, just a small part. Um, it's even got kind of these amazing kind of New York New York actors because it's filmed in New York popping up in it. And so everyone is someone who was great. And so everyone is kind of giving these small bit parts, all these amazing kind of textures to it, which I absolutely love, which is why this is such more of a broad, oh, everything's kind of amazing movie instead of just watching Melanie Griffith, who, by the way, is freaking incredible in this. Um, yeah, everything's great about this movie. Just the, the cast is freaking amazing. Yeah, it's so good. And like you said, all these people that... Um, I didn't go through everybody's filmography, so I don't mm. know where they were exactly in their careers. Mm. But yeah, Olympia Dukakis in there for just one scene. Yeah. It, brilliant. And everybody who's popping up, it's so good. And um, there's there's just little people here and there that I, not little people, but um, um, people that pop up that... I like, oh, I recognize that person. I recognize that person. Oh, what did I see them in? And then I look it up and it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I've seen them in all these other things. And it's it's great. And I'm yeah, I'm sure everybody wanted to work with him at that point and was like, yes, please put me in your movie. Yes, I will I will do the smallest part. I mean, I love that um, with a scene with Olivia, Olivia Dukakis, sorry, when she's trans she's having to transfer Melanie Griffiths from yet from another to another secretarial um, thing within this one company. And because she's pretty much quit um like i love how she quits the oliver platt he's yeah. just like he's just a dirty pimp and he's like well actually you are um yeah. you just pimped her out um and it's just kind of incredible and she because she's such a uh, olympia is such a good actor she's able to convey all this stuff into one little scene and it just makes everything um better and all these sort of little, little interactions and then of course you have the three lead performances and of course they are Weaver, Ford and Griffith and they are all doing amazing. I mean, there's a scene, I mean, Harrison Ford, I forget, has comic timing, but man, that he is funny in this. <laughs> yeah. And uh, he's interesting because there are times like in their, 
in, in his first scene where they're at the party, he yeah. comes off as a little bit skeezy, but then that goes away and he's earnest and charming and it's it's a very nuanced performance from him it really is there's a moment when i think he's taking her back to her apartment when she's drunk which when you first watch this you're like oh no what are you doing and he kind of just puts her in a chair and tries to have a conversation with her and he goes would you like a drink i think he's i think i can't remember what the drink is but he says something like i'm gonna have a whiskey and it's just the way he says that line is so adorable that you kind of realize that at the bar it's been all bravado but when he's actually alone with her and even if she is completely passed out and should not be there he's actually still having to try he's trying to talk to her and just kind of keep the night going in a conversation i don't know it's 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 a sweet way of doing that scene it's <laughs> it surprised me yeah and uh that line cracks me up where he asks her if she wants herbal tea and then he's like oh i don't have any but it sounds good yes oh <laughs> um, yeah this is not a man who's got completely got his stuff together which i kind of like because he is harrison ford who is a man in movies who usually has a stuff shit together mm-hmm. um and and yeah it's just oh, he's, he's, he's adorable in this <laughs> and the scene where uh she says that maybe I just don't like you. And he's like, me? Nah. (laughs) That's such a fun little moment. Yeah. Or when they're at the wedding and they're trying to get the meeting. And um, it's like this weird um, uh, tiki kind of thing, like a very weird tiki kind of theme. And there's like all these fruity drinks. He goes, I'm going to get the drinks. He just stands there looking at everyone in these massive dresses and just kind of drinks this drink and then starts drinking the second one. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, yeah, he's, he's got this very nuanced performance and you get to realize that he's kind of latched onto this idea when his career hasn't been going the way he's wanted it either. Like he hasn't quite gotten the deals. He hasn't quite gotten, maybe he's a bit too nice to be doing, um, the job he's, he's doing, but he's found someone with integrity and who has good ideas and he's kind of latched onto them and he's just i don't know he's you don't usually see a harrison ford performance like this and i'm glad that it exists because he's kind of playing um the pixie dream boy almost but he's able (laughs) to give it a little bit more texture but he's he's pretty close yeah uh yeah he's usually so tough in things or or uh not flawless but like oh i can handle anything i'm harrison ford guy uh get off my plane harrison ford exactly yeah uh that i really yeah i like what he does and you know i'm sure he finds it all kind of exciting because you know it might be kind of boring in business um and this whole crashing a wedding and what's gonna happen next with this woman yeah uh, you can tell he's on that ride like when he thinks that he's been doing business she's been doing business stuff without him he gets really upset he's like i can bring stuff to the table i know what i'm doing and i don't know he's just this very sweet kind of goofball that's kind of following her around because she knows what she's doing well she doesn't know but she's kind of doing it on the fly and she's kind of the character that is taking on the mantle of i know what i'm doing i get off my plane and harrison ford's kind of along for the ride and you're right business is boring and i love how this movie treats jargon like i don't think even the characters know exactly what they're talking about when they come to the business <laughs> yeah. jargon um only melanie griffiths kind of does um which i kind of love how smart the writing is it's like actually no one knows what they're doing but it's melanie griffith who kind of knows what she's doing and she's the one who can explain it more than anyone else yeah 
I, I agree with that because there was sometimes that like stuff popped up on the computer screen. I'm like, I don't know what I'm looking at here. Just move on to the next scene. <laughs> yeah. Or when, even at the beginning, when she's sort of talking about, oh, this is going to be the next buy and deal. I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about. You seem to, which is great. So I'll just go, I'll just go with that. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, but Melanie Griffiths has this amazing quality. She kind of reminds me of Marilyn Monroe in a way. Like she's got this kind of breathy way she talks. But as you realize through the movie, and she is a very stunningly beautiful um, woman, and then, but then when you quietly realize, oh, she's the only one who knows what's actually, she, she's the one who knows what she's doing in this kind of thing. No one else does. Everyone's just throwing jargon at people and thinking that, oh, they don't need to understand this if I throw as much jargon as possible. But when you listen to what she's actually saying, she's kind of making sense and you kind of follow along what she's doing. Yes, yeah, she wants to buy, you know, you, she wants to buy a radio station because right, buying a radio station is smarter than buying a TV station, which is more expensive. And then you won't have this takeover. Like she spells everything out very, very cleanly. And I think it's a really smart writing trick to actually go, okay, no, she actually knows what she's talking about. She's incredibly smart. Um, and, and, but it's Melanie Griffith, so she's got this beautiful, breathy kind of way she talks. And it's that Marilyn Monroe quality of, yeah, you may present breathy, but you're very smart. And you just, it's, it's, it's a kind of a cool disconnect. Yeah, I really do love her performance in this. I can't say that I've seen her in a ton of stuff. Mm. But she's so captivating in this that she really does carry the movie. Oh, absolutely, and yeah. Yeah, I don't, you know, you read stuff on the internet and I don't know how much is true or not, but um, apparently Mike Nichols really wanted her and the studio didn't because she wasn't a name. But then once they had Harrison Ford and Sigourney Weaver, they were like, okay, we got two big names so you can have her. And I'm really glad it worked out that way. No, because she really holds her own with um, both of those and she kind of runs rings around them, which she's monumental in the movie, but she does actually in the movie as her as well. Um, like Harrison Ford's constantly following her. Sigourney Weaver completely underestimates her. Like, I love Sigourney Weaver's performance. Um, how you can tell she's kind of full of shit to begin with. Like, um, she's not really looking at her. She's kind of saying all these kind of pleasing things again, throwing this jargon out there. It's a two-way street. You, we, you know, I'll, you do things for me, I'll do things for you, which is how she does business, but she never intends to fill on her promise of it. She just wants all the work to come from her. And then she's, as soon as she's expecting, it's like, yeah, push a hot trolley around the room or go to my house and do these things. Like she's kind of one of those bosses that will expect everything from you, but was very only willing to give you tidbits. And then we'll, of course we'll steal your idea so it can make herself seem better. Right. And once you train your assistant, you don't want to lose your assistant because then you have to train a new one yes. uh, is the feeling I get from her. Because when she comes home, she's like, I'm going to need help bathing and dressing. It's like, I don't think it's your secretary's job to bathe you. No, it's not. And but she thinks it is because that's what she wants done. And she kind of, yeah, she's that kind of woman that thinks the secretary is her servant. And even when um, she's back in the room and she's, on the bed and she's trying to get um Sigourney to do more and more things and she's like well no I've got to go well she has to go to a meeting but she's like I've got to go to a doctor's appointment which is a pretty important thing and all Sigourney can say is um oh the doctor won't mind um it's fine yeah. you, need, you need to stay here with me and of course she's going crap I need to get to this meeting Jack's probably coming over it's all getting very awkward I can't be here kind of thing and um 
No, I love, yeah, her performance is just great because she spells out who she is right from the get-go. Um, and But she's really smart in the way that she does selfish really well. It's, um, yeah, it, it, again, all the performance in this movie is just absolutely perfect. Yeah, and I love the way that they make her a presence, even though she's missing for, you know, a giant chunk of the movie. Yes. You still kind of, like, feel that she could, pop up at any second or it's like it's still not completely safe no even when um as you pointed out before with the lady in red song she's always in the movie she's always there Mm -hmm. she's um because uh tess uh, tess mcgill uh melanie griffith's character is using Catherine's clout to get into um certain meetings and everything like that so she's always in the room even when she's not and because sigourney weaver is such an amazing presence on screen you don't forget her very easily so it's um yeah these it's two very different acting performances styles everything like that and then they just work together really really well and it's so gratifying when um Tess tells her get your bony ass away from me or whatever I just it's (laughs) it's great it's just like yes you go girl (laughs) I do love that and I also love the moment when um Catherine Sigourney Weaver's character tells um, Trask that she will not be talked to like that. Yes. Because he tells her to get her bony ass out and she's like, I will not put up with this. And it's like, yes. Yes. Uh, You know, you may be the bad guy, but you're a woman in this situation and I am glad that you're standing up for yourself. No, that's exactly it. Because um, none of the men, all the men have no problems talking to women a certain way. And you can tell that even with with Tess. So when he starts in on um, Catherine, even though she is absolutely in the wrong and is, you know, she thought she had everything done, the deal, the marriage, everything like that. She is still like, no, you will not talk to me that way. Um, you don't, you don't know me. And we are on meant to be on equal footing, which again, I love, which is why I can't completely hate Catherine. Um, because I'm just like, yeah, this is how she lived to get to the top. And this is a world where there can be no, no, I mean, God forbid you have two female executives. It's, this is not the environment that is able to sustain that because, you know, they'll give, this is the time when women are starting to rise through the ranks, but it's only one at a time. You can't have more mm-hmm. than one. And this movie makes that very, very clear, whether intentionally or not. <laughs> yeah. Um, which isn't too far removed from the same type of thing that was happening in the 70s, except uh worse uh that we'll talk about in nine to five but um yeah and equal pay type things and all that it's still so many issues we gotta work on (laughs) yes it's just you're watching both these movies and you're like going actually nothing much has changed just because there isn't as still as not as many fem- uh, women in positions of power or responsibility or management roles, they're competing with other women for those roles. They're not competing with men. Um, as it clears, very much clear in nine to five, um, you're not even in the same um, uh, road, let alone the uh, same kind of um, up track or whatever. I'm using jargon I don't understand. Um, <laughs> but it's yeah, it makes that very very clear. And I think that was kind of just taken as this is what it is when they were writing it and which is why I think it's interesting that when you get to nine to five and you have Patricia I can't remember her last name I'll look it up when we talk about the movie it's kind of you do get that woman's sensibility but with this because it is even though Mike Nichols is an amazing director of letting um 
women be women and the male gaze isn't as much as there you do get that sense of well a man wrote this so of course there can only be one female executive i don't think that's the point of the movie i just think that's how you watch it now and go well can't they both be executives why is there an issue here i know they're competing with each other but that's what it was you're forced into these situations where you have to compete against women because there was only so many times a woman could um be promoted yeah um yeah, and definitely not having more than one woman, one more, can't talk right now, having more than one woman in a leadership position in a department because, you know, heaven forbid they might uh, all be on their cycle at the same time oh, and then no. what would we do? Exactly. Um, I've been watching a lot of community at the moment and that joke about women syncing up comes up a lot. I'm like, what is with Dan Harmon and Paramount and, uh, and sinking cycles i don't understand oh my gosh <laughs> it's like what is this um but yeah um anything else you want to say about uh the glorious working girl before we move in to um nine to five i don't think so um just it's great if you haven't seen it watch it um yeah thank you for making me revisit this one no it's you're welcome i was just looking for excuse to rewatch this as well because i think it's such a well-made um movie and mike nichols just knows how to put a movie together um it's just really really great and those performances just absolutely sing on screen um and with that we're gonna go in back into back in time to 1979 1980 when this movie when nine to five was made um what would your first trailer be for nine to five Okay, so my first trailer for 9 to 5 is going to be The First Wives Club from 1996. I gave Aaron a home. I washed the shorts. I ironed them and I starched them. Oh, you did? Yeah, well, I mean, I supervised. Hello. What's the matter, Morty? Can't you buy our whole dress? At least, hi, I'm Phoebe. I've seen all your movies and I want to be just like you. Only me. <laughs> he brought her to my son's apartment. Is she a gift? What are we talking about? Are we talking about revenge? No, I am talking about justice. Put it in there. Okay, First Wives Club, we'll come to order. Be afraid. Be very afraid. Oh, I was thinking of this one, yes. <laughs> uh, directed by Hugh Wilson, uh, written by Robert Harling, based on the novel by Olivia Goldsmith. It stars Bette Midler, Goldie Hawn, Diane Keaton. Um, oh, I have two Diane Keaton movies say, in my trailers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's about three friends who were reunited by the death of a college friend. Mm. Um, all three of them are divorced and they seek revenge on the husbands who left them for younger women and were also up to some really shady business. So it's not like they just got revenge on them for no reason. They actually weren't very good guys. <laughs> no, I really do love this movie. And I remember actually I, re I read the book um, it was based on. And again, talk about chemistry with um, Goldie Hawn, um, Bette Midler and um, uh, Diane Keaton. There's just that kind of thing of, yeah, we've been screwed over again. We need to go get revenge. Um, Nine to Five takes it to a much darker place, which I love. Um, but it's more about them getting success over their husbands and not needing them anymore and it's yeah, it's just and then they it's um then they sing you don't own me at the end and i love it <laughs> yeah um it, it immediately popped into my head because it's 
three women getting revenge on guys and yes. it was like it's different circumstances but they the two movies just remind me so much of each other and for some reason as a kid i was obsessed with this movie my sister and i watched it over and over again what comedy about divorced women makes sense to children i don't know but we loved it <laughs> oh um i remember watching this a lot as well and i think there's something just about those three actors on screen that you just respond to because again they feel like they have amazing chemistry they feel like they're actually friends um even though it is very yeah. much about very adult things like nine to five very much is no this is an absolutely perfect trailer um my first trailer because you went with uh the wonderful bet midler I'm going to go for a movie which I actually haven't seen in a while. I should have tried to rewatch some of it, but I didn't. Um, I think it's only just become available again. It was a bit hard to find. But this is an Abrams and Zucker's movie, uh, Ruthless People from 1986. Meet Mr. Stone. He wanted to kill Mrs. Stone. My only regret, Carol, is that the plan isn't more violent. Until something wonderful happened. Mr. Stone, you kidnapped your wife. Imagine someone demanding money from me to keep Barbara alive. Idiots. Now he's doing everything inhumanly possible so she'll never come back. Don't you consider throwing a body off a cliff in the dead of night violent? Nah, she'll be unconscious. Danny DeVito is married to Bette Midler from memory and he doesn't like her so he gets the two nicest people to kidnap her and then they have to deal with a very very angry Bette Midler. Um, my memory of it. It's a very dark comedy. Um, it's very wrong in places from memory but it is again <laughs> one I remember watching a lot as a kid. Again I don't know why especially since it's about kidnapping and hostages and all that kind of thing but with what 9 to 5 goes I thought it would fit nicely. Okay, that sounds a lot of fun. I have to watch that. It's also got Bill Pullman in it and Judge Reinhold. Yeah, that's that's a solid cast, and that sounds fun. And Bette Midler's hilarious. Oh, um, I, I love Bette so much. <laughs> um, yeah, no, this is, again, I haven't seen this for a while, but I know the trailer's really fun, and it is just this kind of madcap kind of insanity, which I think would fit well in before 9 to 5. Um, what is your second trailer for 9 to 5? So my second trailer is the movie Clock Watchers from 1997. Can I help you? I think I'm supposed to work here today. Well, I hope you can type. Follow me. You must be the new girl. There's a phone call for Mr. Wheeler. I'll oh, just leave him on hold. I'll just get tired and hang up. Coffee's fresh. I just made it. Remember to leave a donation. Okay. Let's deliver this and then we'll get to the other 50% of the job. What's that? Lunch. Watch out, because uh, those are spicy. Oh, you're right. It burns. Ow. <laughs> um, this one is directed by Jill Sprecher, mm. and it's written by her and Karen Sprecher, and it stars Parker Posey, Lisa Kudrow, Tony Collette, Alana Ubach. Mm. Uh, which, I mean, just the cast alone, I was like, yes, why have I not seen this? Because um, I just watched it recently for the first time. But it's about four female temps working in a company and uh, stuff like there's these weird thefts that happen, but then a new permanent employee gets hired in the position that one of the temps was hoping to get. So it's just kind of like 
office politics, how these four women become friends, and what it's like to be a temp. Um, because it, I did that for a while, and it's a very interesting experience. Yes, I watched this as well, and just like last week, and the way this movie captures what it's like to be a temp and how you were, because it, it's, we talk, in 9 to 5, we talked about how people treated secretaries. When you're a temp, it's even, you are kind of even down the totem pole even more, and it is a very interesting experience. Um, it's almost like uh, you're a ghost only, no, people only notice you if you don't have, if there's a job that hasn't been done, because I've been a temp as well. And it's a really weird position to be in. Um, but no, this movie is great. The, the cast is amazing. And um, I didn't expect to like it as much as I did, but I really did fall a little bit fall in love with this movie. It's it's a wonderful, wonderful movie. Yeah, I really loved it. And again, I was sad that I hadn't heard of it until just a couple months ago. Um, it came out before Office Space did, mm -hmm. but because Office Space, you know, had such a bigger profile and everything and because it was about dudes um that is a more well-known movie but everybody should watch clock watchers yes everyone should and i completely agree of course um it came out and then of course upper space came out and did a very similar thing but because it was mike judge and about guys much more popular so um but yeah. this is an amazing amazing cast and i think everyone should absolutely watch it um my second trailer i'm actually going to go with another colin higgins movie um pairing up again with dolly parton this time from 1982 it is the greatest little whorehouse in texas down at the chick chick chicken ranch where a lonely girl could have a chance and a homely boy could find romance at the chick chick chicken ranch the sheriff and Miss Mona for years had been red-hot lovers and real good friends, but trouble snowballed like an avalanche at the Chick Chick Chicken Ranch. When Melvin Thorpe, a reporter of sorts, a self-righteous crusading fanatic, got on TV like you wouldn't believe and pointed a finger right at it, exposing Miss Mona, accusing the sheriff, then it rose to a roar from a whimper. Um, this movie is a blast. Um, this movie is so much fun. I mean, it's a musical. You have Dolly Parton singing I Will Always Love You to Burt Reynolds while looking him in the face, which feels awkward. It is, but it's an amazing moment. Um, you have Charles, um, oh, I've forgotten his name, doing a little, doing a little dance, swinging his hat around, and you realize um, Charles Doring. Um, and it's just this amazing, fun cap. And if you ever want to see a movie where, because sex work is as old as time and it's always shown as these kind of drug dependent women who had nowhere else to go if you want a positive look at a woman who owns her own business as in dolly parton um and doing everything in this like a like a great environment then this is the movie for you because it's amazing um and if you want to see someone like burt reynolds trying to catch up to anyone else this is the movie because dolly parton runs rings around him so i might get kicked out of texas because i've never actually seen that one and i'm also a huge musical fan and yeah. i've never seen it i i have to fix this situation asap it is such a strange little movie because you don't expect it to be the kind of musical it is and you do definitely do not expect charles durning to start singing and dancing but even though you know he was a dance <laughs> he actually was a dance teacher back in the day um oh, wow yeah world war ii hero and dance teacher man that man lives a life um but it is absolutely this amazingly happy joyful funny movie and this is the movie that real i mean colin higgins looked at dolly parton and went i'm just gonna make you a movie star that's i'm gonna do 
and I'm going to make your madam to boot. And Daddy got away with it and made it so happy and so joyful. I don't know how he did. <laughs> that sounds fantastic. Um, so now we are going to be getting into a movie that I used to love, but after this rewatch, I love it even more. Um, and that is 9 to 5. 1980, 1980, cue that goddamn song because I've been listening to it since I saw this movie again. Something, somewhere, sometime is going to snap in God help Mr. Hart, because I won't be responsible for my actions. Fire the bitch. The first day I got here, and I put up with all your pinching and staring and chasing me around the desk, because I need this job, but this is the last straw. Um, the, and, so you're the one who suggested 95. What is your history with this movie? Um, it's not a long history either. It was one of those that I'd heard of and I love everybody in it. So it was like, huh, I wonder how I missed seeing this growing mm -hmm. up. Um, and so I used to run the DVD section at the bookstore that I worked at. So it came in one day and I got it and I watched it and I loved it. Um, and yeah, so I suggested this one because I was kind of on a like, women in the workplace kick I'd watched several movies back to back and I thought oh this would be a fun one to cover on your podcast because there's different things that could match with it uh, you're absolutely right because this movie is doing a lot with a really simple premise um and it goes into the okay the fact that they kidnapped Dabney Coleman after realized that they didn't accidentally murder him and then put him in this weird bondage suit is just the greatest thing ever um but you're you're right this movie i only saw this movie a couple of years ago for the first time for some reason i thought i wasn't a jane fonda fan or a dolly parton fan this movie dissuaded me on both of those um issues when i realized how great they are in this movie again um yeah you fall in love with this cast um you fall in love with these women again they are doing things everything they are doing is wrong and you should be going <laughs> don't make this decision do not do that and yet by the end you're like yeah no die absolutely tie Dabney Coleman up um the fact that you are making him sandwiches I think is he's too good it's you are better than him you just leave him to rot in a corner um he's the ultimate terrible boss um shamelessly terrible um and it's just oh it is so goddamn great and sort of watching it this time around I was just reminded how much I love this movie how much I love these actors how much I love these performances and um, that I should really listen to more Dolly Parton in my life. I, I, I'm missing every moment that I'm not listening to Jolene. <laughs> oh, yes. Um, and that's one thing I didn't talk about with Working Girl, but the music in this. Oh, and yes. and the, the song that was written for that one as well. Both of these movies mm. have fantastic yes. themes mm. um, that were written for them. And yeah, 9 to 5... Once you hear it, you can't get it out of your head for a while, but not in a bad way. Like I need to uh, go to sleep and try not to ever think of anything again way in a like, yeah, this is pumping me up way. It is a really good way to get you up in the morning, that song, even though it's singing, a, the song is literally about how work sucks. You want to get up yeah. and do things. <laughs> Um, they're just that dun, 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 like it's on the typewriter sounding at the beginning. It's just absolutely fantastic. And of course you can't have Dolly Parton in it without her 
giving you a song and the fact that she gave them what nine to five is brilliant on so many levels but it is it is again it's kind of a very simple story again like working girl it's just a workplace comedy these women have this terrible terrible boss and he's kind of torturing them in different ways and they all accidentally get their revenge then on purpose get their revenge on him and kind of show him that he is absolutely terrible and just how everything works out and just the time common timing of those yeah, I'm going to add Dabney Coleman in because his last line is one of the funniest line, line readings in the movie. When he goes, uh, Brazil? Um, yeah. It's just great. Um, but just when you realize how friggin' talented Dolly Parton, Jane Fonda, and Lily Tomlin were, uh, or still are because all of them are still alive and all still working um, yeah. for many years, please. Um, how talented they actually are and their comic timing, each completely different, but each and each unique but each in this perfect way that you realize oh god these are why these women are legends um it's because of work like this uh and yeah as soon as you meet um i think it's lily tomlin for the first time she's complaining about having to train jane fonda um yes. you're like oh i'm in safe hands everyone knows what they're doing i keep mentioning a working girl this has a female writer along with colin higgins um who again knew how to make people kind of burst onto screen and um, he should have had a longer career than he did. Um, and it was, everything works together so well and you just want to spend time with these women. It's actually a really amazing hangout movie because when they're hanging out, it every the world feels right. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're uh, old fashioned ladies pot party is so much fun. Oh my God, the fact they call it a pot party, I love it. <laughs> Um, but I do agree with you going back to what you said about uh, Dabney Coleman and mm. his comic timing, because as awesome as these three ladies are, I don't think the movie would have worked if they hadn't have had somebody who was really good as the boss. Yes. Like, because he sells it so well of being so bad and despicable that, um, yeah, if, if, he wasn't strong then it wouldn't i don't think the movie would have played as well but everybody in it is really good like the casting is perfect oh it, it really is and i've always kind of wondered how they got everything to, together just to make it work so well um because even when you have the likes of jane fonda kind of playing against type she didn't usually play because she's kind of the starts off as the sort of the Mika character than the Dolly Parton um, and Lily Tomlin character. It's her about her. She's kind of got the strongest arc of her finding her confidence in herself. And yes, for her to what play this kind of very meek kind of character and then to watch her kind of grow. And there's this amazing scene because I love how fantasy this movie is. I mean, you do at the pot party with them smoking dope, which is one of the greatest things ever or smoking pot. Um, they sort of fantasize about how they would kill their boss which is Hart, Dabney Coleman, and you get these amazing sequences of him being hunted around the office, but then you have Jane Fonda in a safari suit with a gun, and you can see the way she changes, just the tone of her voice, the way she holds herself, and you're like, oh, this is why this woman won Oscars, because the way she says, you're a, hyper, you're a hypocritical, bigoted something or other, but it's a tongue twister, and the way she says it, I'm like, oh, you're good at the acting thing. I, just with that little bit, you can tell that you all know what you're doing. And then she goes back to being this kind of Mika 
Very funny, again, very different from the others. And I love how these women are not similar. Each of their own comic styles and they just blend together really well. Again, with actually Coleman, all four have very different comic stylings, but all just work together. Yeah, and the fact that this was Dolly Parton's first movie. Oh my God. I mean, she does <laughs> such a great job. Yeah, Colin Higgins let her be herself. She was the, um, and let her persona be or herself or her persona. Both are probably the same. Um, she comes in, she's this ray of light. She's speaking in very Southern kind of um, uh, sayings. And she's just this kind of out of place, but she's so beautiful. And she's got so much confidence that every time she was on screen, you cannot take her eyes off her. And she, you you know it. Like, I think um, Fonda and Tomlin are maybe acting a little bit more. But whatever Dolly Parton's doing, it's just incredible. And... Again, her fantasy sequence where she's like flirting with, when she's hitting, oh, assault, almost assaulting Dabney Coleman is just freaking fantastic. <laughs> yes. And it's a, another testament to him as well because mm. you, he plays that so well being on the reverse end yes. of it, of being like, oh, no, I'm not like that. Why are you doing this to me? I'm not that um, kind of boy. <laughs> yeah. When in just a scene before, you know, he was being like aggressive and rude and mm. everything. It was like, it's just beautifully done. Um, yeah. I really it, enjoyed that fantasy sequence. Um, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was about to say, I was just about to agree with you. Yeah, he's great. And those fantasy sequences are, are great because you have these different styles of fantasy sequences, like the, the um, most dangerous game, her um dolly parton being the sort of aggressive asexual kind of predator um maybe predator is not the right word but she's kind of doing what to him what he did to her and then you have um lily tomlin who's just imagining herself in a snow white poisoning the boss which is fantastic <laughs> which Actually, i think also is hilarious because the poison doesn't kill him she has to throw him out a window i know I was just about to say that. It's like, it, it's not even just poison. She actually pushes him out a window. And she does it in this kind of light tone. And, I mean, Lily Tomlin's just one of the great comic actors of whatever. And just the way that she can kind of switch. Even her, her when she's being meant to be sweet, it's deeply acidic, which is the point, but I love it. <laughs> yeah. Um, Sorry, I had a whole bunch of different thoughts running through my head at one time. <laughs> one thing that I do really love is that they all get to do their fantasy. It just doesn't turn out the way they thought it would. Like um, Dolly Parton ends up tying him up and roping him. Oh. Uh, Jane Fonda actually does shoot the gun at him. And um, Lillian Tomlin, or Lily Tomlin, I can never say her name right um yeah. thinks that she poisoned him yes oh my god i didn't even click to that but you're right that um after their fantasy of telling how they would do him in that actually does happen because um lily tomlin buys rat poison and sweet and low and i love the joke but it looks all the same except for the little skull on it um <laughs> which very strange marketing by the way um yeah <laughs> Just to make it look like exactly like sweet and low. Um, the fact that she does think she's poisoned him. That she, um, that once he sort of, which, again, this is why I love how the topsy-turviness of this movie. They should, I mean, he has every right to say, look, you guys should go to prison. You did try to murder me and then cover it up. But he's doing it in such an asshole way that you're just like, oh, no, he can't. He can't do it. And then 
Lily Tomlin shoots the gun at him, and then you're right, um, Dolly Parton is the one that t- it does tie. They end up tying him up. So all their fantasies do actually come true, just in this very kind of different, more comic way. Yes. Um, so I thought that was funny. I also love when they're talking about how they'll do him in that Lily Tomlin says that she'd have to do something horrible and gruesome, but kind of cute. Yes. Like that's just, I like the kind of cute thing. And I love the fact that it's got, um, cause I make references to Bambi and Thumper. And then all of a sudden, cause she's obviously got the Disney on her brain. So when she's doing her fantasy, you do see like a fake Bambi, even a fake rabbit and a Robin Hood gear, which is from the 1973 Robin Hood, which I just friggin' adored. I'm just like, really? You're pulling 1970s Disney on us? I love it. Um, and yeah, all that kind of stuff. And it's just this kind of, this movie is attention to detail so, so heavily. And I absolutely love it because again, everything is completely set up at the beginning and then plays itself through to the end and you're right if deputy coleman didn't have this comic timing and be able to switch between bravado bully and then absolute um whiny victim i don't think this movie would work at all because you love to hate him and um oh my favorite moment in the whole entire movie is actually when lily tomlin thinks that he, she's murdered him and she decides that she's going to steal the body to hide it so no one can clock to the fact that she did it even though he's awake somewhere in the ho- in the um, hospital so she steals a body from the hospital and just kind of saunters out with it is just one of the greatest friggin' moments in this movie <laughs> it's so funny when she's talking to the little i think candy striper is the term yes. um yes. and then she realizes that she has on a doctor's coat and she's like why am i talking to you get lost <laughs> and, and yes. i mean yeah she just she just takes the body out and puts it in the trunk of her car and then the fact that they just bring it back yes and then stick it in the bathroom of the sheet and the cleaners are like yep that's happened they're like how many times has this happened (laughs) yeah how many times did somebody just leave a body in the bathroom (laughs) obviously quite a bit there yes um one thing that i thought was really interesting was the whole mix-up where they think that um, Mr. Hart has died and the doctor comes out to tell the police officer there that somebody has died and they think that it's him. Yeah. It's very similar to a scene in another movie, Adventures in Babysitting. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen that one. No, I need to. Mm. Okay. Uh, But the babysitter, uh, one of the kids she's babysitting, he gets a knife... um, like thrown through his foot and they take him to the hospital and he has to have like one stitch. Mm. Um, But they ask a nurse or somebody like, how's the guy with the knife wound? And somebody else had come in who had been in a knife fight and they're like, oh, he's dead. Mm. (laughs) And so of course the babysitter is like, what? And it was just like, ah, I wonder if the director of that movie saw this movie. Possibly. Because one thing I do love about this movie, how it just keeps piling layer on layer on layer of gag of situational comedy of kind of farce of everything else until it gets to the point where it's gonna have to explode at some point um yes <laughs> that and it does in the best kind of way um because um Hart the boss is oh, Gary, uh Dabney Coleman is also a um thieving um embezzlement embezzlement person um I'm not saying that correctly but you find out that he's kind of really obsessed with this one account and He's actually kind of pocketing. He's it's a fake thing who's pocketing the money, 
And so when they find that on him, they've got leverage. But I love the fact that it's 1980 and it's going to take six weeks for them to get the invoice to prove the fact that he's actually embezzling, which I'm like, oh, this is so, yes, this is going to take ages. And so they have to keep up the ruse that he's like tied up in his house. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's kind of, I don't know, just the way it builds and builds on itself is absolutely amazing. And the fact that this movie can keep every single ball in the air and never drop one at any single time, I think is a, is, a, is an absolute feat. Yes, because from where we start to where we go is so much happens. And you're right, how they um, trick everybody as to why the boss isn't there or, oh, you just missed him um, and how they get Roz out of the way so she won't ask questions and they implement all these changes while, you know, feeding him and taking care of him at home mm. and everything. It's just like, you ladies are masters at what you do. <laughs> absolutely and it's kind of that very much the wo the woman in the in the pig pen or whatever the the typing um floor is is just so much smarter than the boss and so much more mm -hmm. um capable and there he's just coasting off of them because i love how in working girl it's all about this one woman who's trying to get above she's trying to work her way up the system and finding it difficult because she's considered just a secretary um and there can only be one woman executive and we've got Catherine Parker, so we don't need you. This is very clearly, um, this is not necessarily about ambition, it's just about getting through the day, and it's also the sexism lines are drawn so cleanly and so straightforward that you understand everything that is happening in the movie, and this is why you really hate Daphne Coleman. And the fact that it hasn't actually changed at all is just kind of like a kick in the gut because Lily Tomlin is up for a promotion. She wants to finally get promoted, and she's been the one who's been training all these guys, and they kept getting um, ahead of her, and even Dabney Coleman says at one point, he's a guy. Okay, I, I gave it to him because he's a man. I didn't give it to you because you're a woman. That's it. Um, that Jane Fonda has just divorced her husband and is now having to go back into the workforce, and it's her first job. So you get the sense she went to college, married, to find a husband, married, and now she's on her own, and she's have to navigate this and it kind of is put on top of her and then dolly parton is because she's a beautiful woman is instantly thought of course you're sleeping with the boss and he's absolutely saying he's sleeping with me so it's kind of these clear distinctions of sexism that are every day in the workplace and still happen are so in there and then all of a sudden it just turns into this amazing revenge movie um i love the switch in tone yeah uh Sorry, I was mm. looking at something. Um, but yeah, it it is. I read a thing that said they wrote a movie of that you can live without the boss, but you can't live without the secretaries. Yes, this is absolutely this movie. Um, they are the ones who run the show and you may be getting promoted, but if you try to do their job, you'd fail in an instant, which he does. Right. Yeah. And the line where he tells her, yes, that he didn't promote her because she's a woman, but he said that the guy he promoted has a family to take care of. And she's yeah. like, I'm a widow supporting yes. four children. I have a family to take care of. It's like, oh, yeah. It's just that whole perspective of the man is the one that's meant to bring home 
the financial thing to take care of them and the woman is meant to give the um, practical uh, affection kind of care and it's just this kind of thing of like no she's a working single mother she's a widow um like when he tells when Dabney says oh you have to train her it's like oh god it's like be nice to her she's a divorcee she goes oh I'm a widow I didn't realize it'd be easy just to divorce him um it's it's that kind of thing of um how your marriage ended or if you are married or what your kind of marriage status is is so important to how people see you in the workplace and what function that you fulfill and it does it so cleanly and neatly um and right at the top so you know exactly where every single character stands um and and how they and how they're going to react to something and it's just such good writing (laughs) yeah and how they like you said they set up who everybody is just right off the bat because Roz she has you know she's not a a giant character in the movie but you know immediately who she is that she's the the spy even though they say i wouldn't use that word but you know she reports back to the boss on everything and is always writing the memos and stuff oh my god the fact that she's hiding she's like you got to check the stall yeah check the stall there's no feet and then you see her in the thing writing on it on the toilet (laughs) paper going i have to get all of this down it's such a great moment actually um both movies have a roz i mean she's only in it twice in working girl i cannot remember her name but she's the one who's coming in and giving advice to Melanie Griffith of how to throw a party like she wouldn't know because um, she's from Staten Island and has big hair and jewelry. And then, of course, and she's kind of that character when they're trying to keep her out of the room while well, she's in the room having a meeting with Harrison Ford. And then you have Roz in this movie who is constantly, um, again, you know this person in the workplace. They're kind of a little bit higher than you or not really, but they're the ones that have the closer relationship to the boss because they're constantly kissing his ass or feeding him certain information. And yeah, just her in the bathroom stall writing on the toilet paper is, is a fantastic moment. <laughs> yeah. I really enjoyed that scene. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, sorry. Yeah. Actually, I was thinking that both, both movies have a bathroom scene because in working girl, she has to go find, uh, in, in the very beginning go find the guy in the bathroom uh because somebody on the phone won't listen to her because she's just the secretary yes you're absolutely right it opens with her going into the male bathroom being very uncomfortable trying to talk to her boss saying can you please come talk to this guy i've tried to tell him this but he won't listen to me because i'm i'm just the secretary you need to tell him this piece of information what she tells him um right there's a lot of uh, especially office-based um movies have a lot of bathroom scenes actually now that i'm thinking about it they're constantly congregating in there for either doing things they're not meant to or having personal conversations um yeah it's always about the bathroom another thing that i was just thinking about um was the scene with um jane fonda's ex-husband when he comes to the house that um this is jumping around a bit i'm so sorry but um when he when they have daphne coleman tied up there and he's been like staking out the house to see if she was alone and then he comes in to talk to her and he finds mr hart up there and he's telling her that oh he won't take her back now but she's into s&m and all this stuff and then she goes what if i am into m and <laughs> yes um i love it so much she's like yeah what if i am into m&ms and uh, well, she's like you're into bdsm what's that <laughs> yeah. 
Um, oh, it's such a great moment because, yeah, she's more freaking out like, oh, no, she thinks I've got this guy tied up as hostage. It's like, no, you're into weird sex games. Yeah. And then I love that he tells his wife that it's a new uh, diet and exercise program. <laughs> I love his wife so much. She is the most sweetest, naive woman on the face of the earth. And um, yeah, because he wants to get one up on them, get the credit for everything they've done, hide the fact that he's been embezzling and also get out of the fact that they're holding him hostage. So he, when his wife finds him, because you think, oh, the jig is up. And it's like, no, 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 he told her. And then she's calling Dolly Parton to sort of say, oh, thank you for the flowers. They're amazing. And yes, my husband's got a new exercise regime um, going on. I didn't know about. And Dolly's face is just like going, what the hell? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he does an awful lot in three days to get that warehouse all stocked and oh, yeah. pretend that he's still tied up and everything. Yes, the way that um, he sort of says, yes, it costs a lot of money to get that back stocked up. I'm like going, how quickly did you have to deliver? It took six weeks for them to get an invoice from head office, but it took you three days to refill a friggin' um, warehouse. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I know that whole six week invoice thing, you know, like, with email and, you know, sometimes fax and yeah. stuff like that. Nowadays, we can have pretty much any information almost when we want it. And yeah, we just need some invoices, but we can't have them for over a month. Yes. Um, or uh, yeah, it is just this amazing kind of thing. And um, I love how oh, sorry, I'm losing my train of thought as well um yeah i love the copy machine actually is what i was trying to say i mean yes. the space aged amazing large thing and even lily tomlin says people have known to lost their hearing in this room um it's and it reminded jane fonda trying to keep up with the paper reminded me so much of um everyone loves lucy with the chocolates on the conveyor belt oh yeah it's just that great moment of her just not being able to think and it's just so great when she's just absolutely in tears because you, there's that feeling when you first started a job you've been shown something that someone says is really simple but it's not because you've never done it before and you make a mess of it and then someone else walks in and goes why didn't you just do that and you're just like going i could have just done that what or i was trying to do a good job and everyone knows that feeling and when heart just yells at her your heart breaks because you've been laughing at her mixing up all the papers and falling down it's an amazing piece of physical comedy and mm -hmm. then heart comes in and just be such a dick about it but it is everyone knows that moment in a new job and it's just perfectly done yeah and of course it's one of those things like once something goes wrong then everything else keeps going wrong and it's not like you can get on top of it because somebody's gonna see you or find out and of course it had to be the boss yes it's always um, the boss it's always the person you do not want finding out about that thing that you just did yes <laughs> yeah um i couldn't believe that she left her alone with that copier like oh here you just do this it's like no copiers even nowadays it's not just as simple as like push a button no it's not even though we're meant to be as you were saying before we can get information at the touch of a hand a lot of technology does not work that simply you have to rejig things you have to know how to turn things off and off again on and off again which is my life um it's it's just very kind of um yeah it's never as simple and it kind of captures not just working in an office but any working environment working girl is so mm -hmm. specific to a certain type of job that you just kind of have to trust the people that they're gonna get you through it to the end this one i've never worked in an office but i've worked in this job i know these people i know the woman who's drinking um on her locker i know this type of boss i know these type of people and it kind of feels much more universal of 
a nine to five or any kind of job where you have to put up with other people or a boss you don't like. It's just universal. Yeah. Yeah, that definitely is like, even if you haven't worked in an office or you haven't done this particular job or that particular job, there's something in here that you can relate to because you've had the copier jam or, you know, the phone was ringing and you couldn't get all the calls at the same time. I mean, that happened at the bookstore all the time. Oh my God. Yeah. So, so yeah, there's something that everybody can relate to in this, even if you haven't been a secretary. Oh no. And the way that uh, Lily Tomlin is answering the phone, is like this cool kind of beat where she's like, hold, hold, hold. Oh, I'm talking to you. Yep. I know exactly what this is. It kind of works as like a, almost like music like there's a there's a Mm. um there's a rhythm to how she's answering the phone and talking to people and then you see jane fonda doing it at the end so much more confidently than she's ever done before especially when she's kind of working in this environment that the all the the women have created where you know there is daycare there is job sharing there is um flexibility in hours where and it makes life so much easier for everyone and the productivity actually is up which has actually been proven to work if you um read anything about um, how businesses are structured now, especially now where they had to be more flexible because, you know, pandemic. Um, yeah. But there was a movement of like going, hang on, people can like start at eight and finish at four if they want or do this as long as they get the work done. Or yeah, we'll job share between two people, two, between two part-timers um, because that makes the people who are working part-time more flexible and able to do their job better and it's limited. Yeah, this is proven to all work. This wasn't like some sort of weird fantasy thing um, of having your kids in a daycare close to where you work is actually more productive for a lot of women who have kids. It's all this stuff has actually been proven to work. It wasn't that what I loved. It isn't some sort of fantasy, but it just took decades for people to come around to actually this style of working actually works. Yeah, and I mean, there's still a lot of businesses that don't have these yes. things yes. so it it is a little bit of a fantasy for some people but um yeah it i'm sure though at the time people watching that movie were like what what are these crazy things that they're talking about of course i do love the redecorating when they have all the couches and stuff and yes. like everything's orange <laughs> everything's orange and looks so much better and more open plan again something businesses yeah. t- tend to do now it isn't these rows rows of desks um again some businesses still run like this which and some businesses still think that oh no you need to be here from this time to this time and do unpaid overtime and do this and do that and yes. don't make it anything flexible and then they wonder why people burn out um but yeah, these are kind of practical ways you can actually make an office better. And they were saying it in 1980 and it took still decades for people to go, hang on a minute, this might actually be a good idea. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, this movie is so relatable and I love how working class this is. Um, again, I love the juxtaposition between this and Working Girl because Working Girl is all about career climbing, being becoming a certain different class, even though it never mocks that lower class. All these people are kind of in the same class. Yes, Hart is in a higher class, Um, and he treats everyone kind of thing, but all these women are in the same kind of class structure and it's kind of feels much more working class than most office movie feels. I mean, clock, clock watches had that same kind of feel because they were temps, but this really kind of has that very seventies working class kind of feel to it. Yeah. I 100% agree with that. Um, the, the one major criticism that I have for both of these movies and part of it, you know, is due to the Hollywood system and part of it is due to the time periods that they were made in. But 
there's not a lot of diversity in them. They're very, very white. Movies. Oh, yes. Um, actually, I don't know if it's probably more egregious that uh, 9 to 5 does have a little bit more color, but you notice that they are all in even more lower strung. Um, like the cleaners are women of color in the hospital. Um, there's much more of that distinction of um, if there is a person of color in uh, 9 to 5, you can tell that they are a servant, a cleaner, or something else even lower rung than it being working class and then in uh working girl there is no person of color it's very very white so yes i would absolutely agree with that yeah that's that's my big uh criticism for these but otherwise i very much enjoy both of them um on a totally different note something i wanted to bring up was how often in movies are there pillow fights that are, or like slumber party movies, and it's supposed to be like, oh, pillow fights are so sexy. I love when Dora Lee is beating um, Heart with the pillow, and it's like, pillow fights are no joke. They hurt. They, yes, you can tell this actually is absolutely hurting him, which I kind of love. And usually when, um, and I absolutely agree with that, and going back to the pot party scene when they're all kind of drinking and hanging out, because if you've ever seen a movie, which again, I absolutely love, and I have talked about it on the show, um, and Slumber Party Massacre too, which they <laughs> yes. do do that um, kind of funny, jokey pillow fight, being all naked, being all weird, and it feels weird, like it feels unnatural, and then you look at Dolly Parton being the shit out of Dabney Coleman, like that is actually what a pillow fight is. That is, that is how it is, and then you watch them kind of hanging out together, smoking pot, and it's a much more realistic version of what women do when they are actually alone together. They just get drunk and smoke drugs like everybody else. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the only time I've ever had a pillow fight was when my sister and I were literally fighting. And yeah, it did not end well. It ended with tears and getting knocked off the bed. And uh, so get get that out of your mind guys uh, yes. there is no sexy pillow fights <laughs> no they're, they're they don't exist um but every, i do love every single time dolly parton goes for dabney coleman there's you know oh, yeah. when he hits the when he starts beating him with the pillow i also love when she's just found out that he's been telling everyone they're sleeping together and she just loses it. She's like, you know what? I've been putting up with your shit because I need this job. And I always believe in turning the other cheek. Very Dolly Parton thing to do. But this is going too far. You have just, I mean, I've been wondering why everyone's treating my, and she just really hammers into him that he is literally cowering from her. Like he doesn't yeah. know what to do. She is angry. And I love that moment because from the, you realize that she is not a woman to be trifled with. She will stand up for herself. And even though the other women do it the same way, they do it in very, very different ways. But she just from the get-go is like, no, you will not treat me like this. I will not have it. <laughs> yes. Even though he is physically so much bigger than her, yes. it's like you, in that moment, is like you do not mess with her. <laughs> no. And I absolutely adore it because you can tell she's got a really great relationship with her husband, like that one scene when they're talking. And he's like, <gasps> Well, do what you want. I mean, if it's not making you happy, quit. Or, or you know, uh, maybe they're just jealous because you're such a beautiful woman and that's that's the reason why they don't like you. She's like, oh, maybe. And you can kind of tell that he's kind of supportive, even if a bit distant, that he does actually love his wife and actually wants her. He's actually concerned for her happiness a little bit. And then, um, so she's got this kind of great home life and then she gets to work and she's like, no, I'm, 
I am Dolly Parton, goddammit. You will not treat me like this. And, oh, goddamn, she's so great in this movie. If you think Dolly Parton is just one thing, you just watch this in Little Whole House in Texas, and you realize that she is a friggin' goddamn star. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I also love that Violet, uh, Lily Tomlin's character, the one scene that we see with one of her kids, oh, they yes. have a good relationship too. It's like... Obviously, Jane Fonda's character doesn't have a good relationship with her ex-husband because they're mm. getting divorced. But the other two, they have a good family life and you get to see that. And I really liked that. Yeah, I mean, the fact that he's helping her fix the garage door and then there's this kind of cool moment where she's complaining, you know, I'm not going to get promoted, this sucks. And she's like, what? And his son's like, yeah, I'll give you a joint. And she's like, don't use that language. And, you know, she's trying to be the mother of it all. But at the same time, she's like, well, actually, my kid's, probably in his late teens, he's going to be doing this kind of stuff. I've just got to roll with it. And you can kind of tell that they have a great relationship that he can talk to her about. Hey, marijuana, what do you think? Um, yeah. And she's like, yeah, just put it in my purse. Like, you know, I'm pretending to be this angry because <laughs> I'm meant to be. But no, they both, all everyone has these great lives. Even when Jane Fonda becomes friends with um, Violet and I can't remember Dolly Parton's character name. Um, Dorley. Dorley. Um you can tell that she's a really great woman who's just in a bad place at the moment because she's just been divorced. Her whole world has been turned upside down. She's having to go back and she's having to go into the workforce, which she hasn't had to do. As soon as she makes friends, um, she's just relaxed. She's happy. She kind of wants, and she's very, very um, loyal right from the get-go because she is so upset when um, her colleague is fired. For talking about celery, it is just getting fired for the most mundane, stupid things because heart can. It's not because what's right, it's because I have the authority to do this, so I will. Yeah, and unfortunately, um, every place I've ever worked, that is something that you could get in big trouble for. Yeah. Um, even Which, now. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yes, you can. And I think the stigma of not being um talk about how much you're being paid and how many other people are being paid is purely a ploy so people can get paid differently and they don't have to talk about why um someone's earning more money than someone else um and i think it's it's so and i love how the beginning of this movie it's so blatantly the sexism of it all yes the women aren't getting promoted and they're being paid less as long as they don't know about it they can't complain about it now and it's just yeah, just the way, again, I think you have that because you have a woman, a female writer um, on this movie who's able just to go, this, 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 this is this is what's actually happening. Wouldn't it be nice if we flipped it um, and see how wonderful it is? Um, but yeah, it is just so smartly done. Yeah, and I think that that movie benefits so much from having a female writer on it. And I wish that there had been one on Working Girl too. As great as that movie is, I just feel like that would have, taking it up even a higher notch um if there was the female perspective on oh, it oh you absolutely notice it especially watching them together because there's a relaxed nature to nine to five and a perspective of just even though um yeah working girl is amazing and i don't think it completely exploit um exploits anyone i think you still get that kind of oh this is what women think but this is like no this is what women think because you do have that um writer and colin higgins was just a really great director that he was just able to let these um characters play out this the movie without getting too much in their way or trying them to make them something they they weren't um and you kind of get you sense that freedom 
within nine to five, which is why I, it's kind of becoming one of my favorite comedies. The more I watch it, the more I just, just cause the way it turns, it's just one minute's a workplace comedy. The next minute it is them killing their boss and then them taking them hostage. <laughs> and just the way it ends also perfectly. Um, the fact that he's dead, Nicole thinks he's won, but his success kind of brings him, his supposed success brings him his downfall, which I just love that moment so much. Yeah. It's funny because at the end when he gets, I guess, promoted um, to go to Brazil, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking, oh, all right, cool adventure. And then, of course, he's like, but I don't want to go there. Yes. And I love how they have the thing of what happened to each character. And it's like, Devin Colin went to the jungle and was never seen again. (laughs) It's Perfect. And yeah, because you see um, Lily Tomlin gets promoted um, and everyone kind of gets what they want out of this out of the story. And it's it's glorious. And thank you for bringing it because I got to watch nine to five again. And it's a beautiful, beautiful, amazing movie. Yeah, it was so much fun to revisit it. Um, Have you listened to any of the music from the musical? No, I haven't. I heard there was a musical, but I haven't gone and listened to the music yet. Okay, yeah, I've been very curious about it it didn't run for a very long um Mm. let me pull it up real quick because i know dolly parton wrote the music for it um and uh yeah and then the the book was written by patricia resnick who wrote the movie Mm -hmm. so they uh both worked on it let's see it opened on broadway in april 2009 and closed in september so yeah not very long it did get 15 drama desk nominations and four tony nominations so that's not too bad that was pretty Uh, good yeah and allison janney was in it and i'm sure that that was great um oh love allison janney so much um was was, was she the violet role or Let's see. It doesn't say there. Let me look at the cast. Yes. Yeah. I feel that she'd had a violet kind of vibe to it. Um, no, it's it would have been interesting as a musical um, because I think it would have worked. It's got that kind of sense because it can because this movie does break the fourth wall kind of um well he dad nicole does look directly at the camera and go brazil um it's um it does have um that kind of thing where you could just turn it into a musical and i think it would have been really fun um but i only vaguely when i was reading a bit about this movie did i realize um that there was a musical um but no that would have been really really fun to to see yeah, I'm going to have to check that out. But I also read there was a TV show. I remember this. Like, I think it did. Because this movie was like, I think it was like the, the second or third highest grossing movie of 1980. Like, um, it wasn't, I mean, this is the year that Empire Strikes Back comes out. So this is obviously taking over everything. But um, I think it was an absolute hit. I think it should, like played for like almost two years. Like This was back in the day when... Um, uh, movies would just run and run because you didn't have video you, um, you'd have to go and see this movie so you could go see Working Girl like multiple times and I know this movie was um, it was um, huge like I want to say it was like the number three or four like it was really really high up in 
in um and things so people were absolutely going back to see it so i think a, this movie resonated with a lot of a, a lot of people um yeah. but yes there was a show it only ran from 1982 to 1983 but it did go into syndication um oh i don't really recognize any of the cast in it um but it yeah no it, it, there was definitely a show as well so this is kind of a um a movie that hit because i remember listening to i think it was called 80s all over and they were talking they didn't get through all the 80s but they got through half of them and they did talk about this movie and they were talking about how big this thing was and i was like really that was a hit and then you go and look how much it made it's like oh though this movie killed yeah uh roger ebert ebert gave it three out of four stars um it made a ton of money it's has 83% on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. It's number 74 on the American Film Institute's 100 Funniest Movies. So yeah, it still is very well thought of. Yeah, and it's it is a great um a great comedy because it just hits this is a comedy that wants to be funny and wants to have gags. So there's constantly jokes, there's constantly um there's constant little moments again very different styles of comedy all blending into one because each for the main players has a completely different set of comedic of comedic moments but it is absolutely just brilliant it was actually the second highest grossing movie it would have been the highest if it wasn't for star wars um wow yeah it was the second highest gross moving of 1980 so people were going to go we're seeing empire strikes back which i completely understand then it was <laughs> um nine to five and i'm like that is awesome um and because it is a great movie and i love the fact that it hit with audiences and the fact that it was hitting it so much about sexism in the workplace and actually worked that well yeah people were seeing this movie and going yeah i, I know this this is my life i understand this <laughs> yeah uh so yeah anything else you want to say about this amazing movie before we go i don't think so um but yeah thank you for having me revisit this one i really enjoyed it again and um yeah i watched it twice just because <laughs> it's such an easy movie to watch and i love the fact that it just starts off with that song the dun, 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 dun. Oh, yeah that's, that's your opening to what this movie is um both movies actually open in the way you're meant to view them like working girl is the new york skyscrapers coming in with the boat um and this movie it's that's it's the dolly parton song and women going to work and working in these different office spaces and all that kind of thing it just kind of each movie just sets the tone perfectly with the music and the opening and it's it's absolutely perfect yeah um and the the I'm so sorry, my brain went. Um, the the music for this just it's so upbeat that it immediately just makes you want to like start tapping your toes, and it just gets you in there, and you feel good when it starts. Yes, and and then of course you can take the dive when you start finding out what's going on there. But it the song pumps you up, even though again it is talking about how it's all taking and no giving. <laughs> No, it is as well. I and mean, when you find out what it's about and you find out what this movie is going to actually do because it turns into quite a dark revenge kidnapping story, um, you are still upbeat along with it. You never once go, ooh, this is going a bit dark, even though when you think about it, what is happening in it is actually quite dark. Yeah. Uh, um, when you think, I mean, bodies are being stolen, lying to the, sort of the police, um, kidnapping people, um, keeping them trapped in a house i mean yes Devin coleman deserves all of it i do not feel sorry for him for a second 
Um, but it is absolutely what you actually break. It's quite a dark movie, but you never feel it's that dark. It is all very light and you are happy. And again, it's just, a, you want to hang out with these women. Yes. And honestly, they should probably go into some sort of engineering for the thing that they rigged up to keep him prisoner because that's pretty ingenious. It could make money. That could make some serious yeah. money. I'm surprised none of the little footnotes at the end saying, oh, they, they patented their whatever their, their, um, whatever machine to, to sell and made a whole bunch of money for M&Ms. <laughs> Um, that's great yeah thank you so much for coming on this was a blast i've been looking forward to talking to you for a while so um i'm glad we finally got down to chat about two great movies yes thank you it was so much fun um and if you need me back let me know i'm always down for a nice christmas duo or uh halloween something or um i don't know if you've done a musical duo i'd be down for that too. oh i have not and that might have to happen um no i'm definitely gonna have you have you back um thank you yes no this was an absolute blast please tell the people where they can find your good work oh okay so um fatal films is pretty much anywhere that you can get podcasts um we are on the socials um twitter fatal underscore films we're also on instagram and facebook and then personally i'm canon laura c um and I'm on Instagram, Facebook, uh, Letterboxd, Twitter. Um, yeah, I think my name's the same on all of them. Um, no, and please listen to Fatal Femmes. Um, I'm looking forward to when you bring it back, especially um, with everything that's happening in your life at the moment. It's very, very exciting. Um, but I'm looking forward to more episodes. Um, Thank you. Yeah, uh, thank you for listening to uh, Schluck and All. Um, if you want to rate and review us, that'd be great. Um, you can follow us on Schluck and All One, both at Twitter and Instagram. And if you want to follow me, it's just Reading Geek um, on Twitter. Um, but no, this has been an absolute blast. Again, I can't wait to have you back. And we will, we will be back with another double feature. All right, okay, bye guys. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>